Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, December 7th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. The finder of Forest Fen's treasure chest has been revealed. Also, what does one do with actual buried treasure in the 21st century? A special delivery for the astronauts on board the International Space Station, how you can help save the bumblebees, and the latest sport to be added to the Paris 2024 Olympic Games lineup. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So in an episode over the summer, I talked about the Fen treasure, which had finally been found by an anonymous treasure hunter in June. And after being adamant that he never wanted to reveal his identity, the finder of the treasure chest has just gone public, blowing the lid on most of his secrets in an article written by a fellow treasure hunter in Outside. A quick recap, though. Forrest Fenn was an Air Force pilot who later opened an art gallery in Santa Fe, New Mexico, one filled with plenty of forgeries as art, as trying to dupe people, unclear. In 1988, he received a terminal cancer diagnosis and decided to hide a treasure chest in some outdoor location for people to find. But then he recovered from the cancer. Still, he didn't want to give up on his treasure hunt idea, so fast forward to 2010 when, quoting outside, Finn hid his treasure chest containing gold and other valuables estimated to be worth at least a million dollars somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Not long after, he published a memoir called The Thrill of the Chase, which included a mysterious 24-line poem that, if solved, would lead searchers to the treasure. Fenn had suggested that the loot was secreted away at the place where he had envisioned lying down to die, back when he believed his cancer diagnosis was terminal. Since the hunt began in 2010, many thousands of searchers had gone out in pursuit, at least five of them losing their lives in the process, and the chase became an international story. End quote. And yeah, I mean, the whole thing really has been a wild story. People have lost their lives and livelihoods. There have been countless lawsuits. You can read all kinds of articles about it that have been published over the last 10 years leading up to this year when, in June, the treasure was finally found. And the man who found it decided to stay anonymous because he knew how intense the community of treasure hunters is, and he feared for his safety. But Fenn quickly announced that he had met the winner and verified he indeed had found the chest. The two also decided to keep the location a secret so that it wouldn't become a kind of tourist site where people might injure themselves getting there or risk damaging the nature around it. But all of that anonymity and lack of closure did not sit well with people who had dedicated years of their lives to finding the treasure. There was instant suspicion. And then, in September, Forrest Fenn passed away. The one man who could maybe smooth things over was gone, and those left behind were even more dedicated to making sure his wishes were upheld. With all of that has come a number of court cases. In particular, one from a woman claiming that the finder of the treasure hacked her emails to steal a part of the puzzle that she herself had solved. She doesn't seem to have too much of a case, however, since she thought the chest was in New Mexico, and it turned out to be in Wyoming. But the case is still proceeding, and the winner knew that his name would be released to the public as it goes on, so he decided to preempt that by outing himself on his own terms. The winner is Jack Stuff, a 32-year-old medical student originally from Michigan. He's keeping as many personal details as possible under wraps to protect his privacy, but he does have a bit of a digital paper trail. 
Before going to med school, he worked briefly at The Onion and as a freelance writer. In fact, he is the guy who wrote that totally inaccurate article eight years ago trying to out Matthew Inman of The Oatmeal as a far right-wing Republican an article BuzzFeed had to issue a public apology for, and which I didn't realize until today that I still believed. Even after meeting Matthew Inman at South by Southwest that same year, back in 2012, and discovering that he was a super nice guy, I still thought, ah, but some article made it seem like he's secretly a jerk. I wonder if that's true. Which is a lesson for me in media literacy and not believing everything that I read, especially when it seems pretty off-base, but also for all of us that no matter how many corrections or apologies you might issue online, there will still be tons of people who only ever see the mistake. And that's a lesson that Jack Stuff learned early on in his career as a comedy writer and is probably part of why he has taken so many pains to remain anonymous in the case of backlash to him finding the prize. If and when all the court cases die down, what will Stuff do with his findings? What does one do with an actual-to-goodness buried treasure loaded up with jewels and artifacts? Stuff says he'll use it to pay off his student loans. So, yep, the most accurate millennial answer possible to coming into unexpected fortune. Of course, first he'll have to get the chest appraised, which he hasn't done yet, and between Fenn's knack for forgeries and his wish that part of the chest be displayed publicly so people can visit it, who knows how much Stuff will actually end up getting for all of his efforts. But we finally have a few more pieces to the story, and if you want to learn more, keep an eye out for a book coming out next year called Chasing the Thrill, written by Daniel Barbarisi, the writer and fellow treasure hunter who got Jack Stuff to go public today. It comes out in June. Link in the article in the show notes. SpaceX had another launch yesterday, which you may have missed. This one was just a resupply vehicle, so it didn't get nearly the same fanfare as launches with human astronauts on them. And it was actually SpaceX's 21st resupply mission for NASA, as they become NASA's go-to for shuttling astronauts and supplies up to the ISS, at least until Boeing finally gets their hat in the ring for real. This is, however, the first time that the vehicle will dock at the International Space Station autonomously. And that should have been happening right around the time I'm recording this and was being streamed by NASA, so go check their website if you're curious to see what that looks like. But the main reason I'm taking the time to tell you about the Dragon spacecraft is because in addition to various run-of-the-mill supplies, this one also contains roast turkey, cranberry sauce, cornbread dressing, shortbread cookies, and icing so the astronauts can have a Christmas feast while in orbit. The capsule also contains 40 mice, so hopefully they were well separated from all of that crumbly food. And in addition to the food and mice, the astronauts are also getting some equipment to help maintain that fancy new $23 million toilet they got. And, I thought this was pretty cool, a one-handed tape dispenser that was designed by high school students. They developed the tape dispenser as part of NASA's high school STEM program, Hunch. And finally, this delivery included the new NanoRocks Bishop Airlock, quoting Gizmodo, This will be the first commercially owned and operated airlock on the space station, and once installed, the crew will use the airlock to deploy small satellites, including CubeSats, and equipment meant for the ISS exterior, among other things. The airlock will also be used to deploy and recover hardware used for spacewalks. 
Roughly five times larger than the airlock on the Japanese experiment module already in use on the station, the Bishop airlock allows robotic movement of more and larger packages to the exterior of the space station, including hardware to support spacewalks, according to NASA. End quote. I just always find it interesting what kind of stuff gets sent up to the International Space Station, especially when it involves cranberry sauce. I definitely want to see some photos of this zero-gravity Christmas feast once it happens, so I'll be on the lookout for those. Bees have gotten a lot of attention in recent years, and as well they should because their populations are decreasing drastically, being threatened by pesticides, habitat loss, and disease. But at least here in the States, many of the conservation efforts have been focused specifically on honeybees. Which is good, because they do need the help, but the focus on honeybees has sometimes overshadowed the needs of the humble bumblebee. Which, yes, is a distinct species from the honeybee. There are actually over 4,000 species of bees present in the U.S. Unlike honeybees, which are European exports, bumblebees are native to the North American continent. And over the last two decades, their population has declined by 87%. And according to S. Hollis Woodard, an entomologist at the University of California, Riverside, there has yet to be a coordinated nationwide effort to monitor these native bees. Until now. Dr. Woodward is one of several scientists who have joined together in the creation of the U.S. National Native Bee Monitoring Research Coordination Network, which will train everyday people to identify and track wild bees, and has the bonus of being a very snappy organization title. Funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the project is taking many cues from the Great Backyard Bird Count, which brings people around the world together every February to look for and record as many birds as they can see over the course of four days. People then submit their observations to the website, and the data helps the scientists better understand the various global bird populations, their migratory patterns, and more. And fun fact, the Great Backyard Bird Count was the first ever citizen science project hosted online when it began in 1998. So it's a great one to be taking cues from, especially as Zach Portman, a bee taxonomist at Minnesota State University, points out that these citizen science projects can often get bottlenecked with a huge amount of submissions, making it difficult to make any progress. The U.S. National Native Bee Monitoring Research Coordination Network hopes to avoid some common stumbles by matching citizen scientists with experts to identify photos and data submitted through the app. And the point of all of this? Well, the better we understand the locations, behavior, and more about native bee populations, the better we can protect them and measure how various conservation efforts are working. So if you want to help save the bumblebees, and if you are someone who's not afraid to get a bit closer to a bee instead of staying as far away as possible, check out the link in the show notes for more info on how to get involved. Briefly, one more thing today. So Jason broke this story as a quick link on cocky.org this afternoon, but it is a very important update, so I must reiterate it here. Breakdancing has officially been added to the Olympics for the 2024 Paris Games. Tokyo was already set to be the first Olympic Games to welcome skateboarding, surfing, and sport climbing, which it will still do in 2021. But now, in 2024, we will also get to see some Olympic-level breakdancing. ESPN says this is part of the International Olympics Committee's effort to draw in a younger audience. 
And like it was in the hip-hop scene in the 70s, breakdancing will officially be called breaking at the Olympics. And it doesn't come from completely out of the blue. It was tested at the 2018 Youth Olympics in Buenos Aires, and apart from that, breakdancing and general street dancing competitions are a huge deal in many parts of the world. So the structure is already there for making it competitive and for seeking out Olympic-level athletes for the task. And while I'm sure many people are going to debate this in various ways, personally, I just think it's awesome, and I can't wait to watch it in 2024. And that is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go bury some treasure in the middle of the wilderness and start leaving clues on how to find it in each episode of this podcast. Happy hunting. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.